0: All right, well that last slide might have been, moms, your biggest gift on Mother's Day so far, right? How about that? Thank you uh, for our volunteers uh, running Children's Church. Uh, If your kid left and you have no idea where they were going, doesn't matter. I'm just kidding. They're coming back, and you'll see them at the end of the service, all right? Um, and by the way, we do have it in mind uh, that it is Mother's Day, and so I will uh, try to be done here by 2.30. Uh, make sure you get your, uh, your lunch plans underway. Several years ago, our family decided to go to um, Red Lobster for, uh, for Mother's Day after church on Sunday. Just a little note, if you're the pastor and get out of the church last, that's a bad plan. There was a three-hour wait. Like I said, just tell me you're closed. Like who waits for three hours? I'm not going to wait for three hours. So anyway, so we went to five guys. True story. Terrible, terrible story, but true. Sad, but true story. So happy Mother's Day. It's all in the brain. I hope it's a great day for you in all that you do and all the ways that you celebrate. And I'm glad you're here. Thank you for making it here to GPC this morning. Glad to have you, and I hope it's a, a day when we can, again, reflect on who God is and see. open up the Scriptures together and see some truth and some hope and encouragement for you. If you've been here for a few weeks, you, you're tracking with our series called Abolished, You Are Free. And if anything else, I've been trying to, with uh, Pastor Kevin's help in week two or three there, we've been trying to convince you, to convince you, to convince you, that this, sometimes this feeling of inevitability that we get, that we are like destined to fall or fail again, doesn't have to be true if you follow Jesus Christ. Boom. That's the point of the series. That there can be a weight or a heaviness of, like I will probably fall into that again. My dad was like that, therefore I'm like that. My mom was like that, therefore I'm like that. I have tried, but I can't get over, and I'm likely just always going to fall into and become and do, and I'm never going to quite If there's anything we can get for you, any encouragement that we can offer you, we are trying to, trying to, trying to drive hard after a deep theological truth that we are dead to sin. Romans 6 is where we have been recently. We are dead to sin. Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ, wrote this early, early, early in the early Christian church. He said, You're you're dead to sin. He said, You're no longer, you are no longer a slave to sin. And so, this is what we've been trying to convey for the past several weeks. Essentially, that message, you are, you are dead to sin. However, however, today, I want to address the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that while we may be dead to sin, you, if you're honest, and me, wanting to be honest with you, I still sin, and no one seemed shocked by that whatsoever. <laughs> but isn't this the reality? Like this would be this would be an incomplete teaching series to, to get up in front of you and just tell you you should feel like free from sin. You should feel dead to sin. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Live it. Like I, that's kind of what we would say from Romans six but it would be incomplete not to acknowledge the reality of the elephant in the room. That on the one hand, we get this teaching that I would say is true. We're dead to sin. And yet on the other hand, there's this strange reality I live in that I experience not just sin in general, but my own sin, right? Like I commit to diet or to eat differently, and then I walk in that very night, right? And I have four whoopie pies, Like, what's up with that? Like, I can't even keep my own standards of commitment, right? Like, I make a commitment, and I'm no longer going to get upset or yell or lose my temper. And that very night, what do I do? I lose my temper. Like, I I experience this. Is there anybody with me? Is there anybody with me who experiences this reality of, man, I'm going to set my mind and heart to? And then in a flash, it's like, man, how did I get there? Like, I'm done with that. And then, actually, two hours later, wasn't done with that. <laughs> I'm still there. Like, is there anyone tracking with me this reality? And this is the elephant in the room, that as much as I want to say we're dead to sin, and I read it, right? I read it. It's in print. Like, someone printed this. Like, you're dead to sin. It's no longer a, a master over you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're free from that. And yet, I eat the whoopie pies. Right. Like, and yet, I fall into it. Again, like, what... Gives And I want to address the elephant in the room. It's almost like, if I didn't do this, it would almost be like, um, you're familiar with, I think it's Hans Christian Andersen's old uh, story called The Emperor's New Clothes. Remember that? I think it was back in the 1800s that that was written. Remember that? And two, like, sly old weavers come to town and they're going to weave together some rich, expensive, special clothes for the emperor. And only those people in your empire who don't deserve their position or who are foolish will not see the beauty in these clothes. And of course, if you've read that story you read it to your children, you know the weavers are just in there playing with the air, right? And they get the emperor out there, and they put him on parade because no one in his kingdom would dare say, no, you're actually not wearing anything, buddy. And so they get him on parade. They, they parade him through the, the town. And finally, there's one voice of one kid in the crowd who says, he's not wearing any clothes. Which all the adults are like, oh! I thought so, but I wasn't going to say, and I thought so. And that's kind of the way it is with this. Like, if I don't address this and speak to it, it can be like, wait a minute. Should we all just agree that nothing's happening here? Like, no, this is happening. And so we've been in Romans chapter 6. Now, today I want to take you to a place where it's like this kid in the story of the emperor's new clothes. The kid in the room speaks up, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think that he's not wearing clothes. This morning, Paul is writing, and he writes from Romans chapter 6 into Romans chapter 7. Now, he didn't have chapters when he wrote, but we made them to make it easier to find it. And in Romans chapter 7, it's almost like the voice of the kid in the crowd calls out and says, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think there's something else going on here. Wait a minute. As much as you're dead to sin, wait a minute. I think something different is happening. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. There's one in the pew around you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd be glad to let you have that and take that with you today. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. If I did my math quickly correctly, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans is in there. Romans about the middle of that book. Romans chapter 7, Paul is writing. And we're going we're to pick it up at verse 14. Uh, because what Paul is uh, is identifying, and by the way, when he's writing, he's not really getting interaction Um, from his letter he's writing and he has to get into the mind of the readers and assume their objections to what he's writing and so it's almost like in Romans 6 he's tried to convince them like we've tried to convince you you're dead to sin and it's almost like Paul can can hear the objection in the room like wait a minute but I still sin and so you ever hear the phrase well the devil made me do it well this is almost like he's trying to deal with that objection And he's trying to deal with the objection of, you know what, what if, what if, if I'm actually dead to sin and that's true? Maybe the problem, maybe the problem is the law. Like the speed limit, I covered this last week, 35 on Route 30, everybody follows it, right? So, yeah, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) point taken, all right. So maybe, maybe because no one follows it, maybe the problem isn't us, but the speed limit sign. Like, that's got to be the problem, right? Like, the devil made me do it. Well, if they wouldn't have had it at speed limit 35, then I would have been fine, right? And that's the objection that Paul deals with now. The, the objection is almost like, well, maybe if we're free from sin, maybe the problem is, is the law. Maybe the law is the problem. Maybe it's not in here. Maybe it's not in me. Maybe it's out there. And so he picks that up in verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. He says this, we know that the law is spiritual, But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. It is very confusing because you just said in chapter 6 that you were a slave to righteousness and no longer to sin, but now you're sold as a slave to sin. And then he says in verse 15 something that if you are a living, breathing human being, you can relate to. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, is there anyone who can relate to that? When all of a sudden, how did that bag of chips get emptied? I have no idea. The diet was going to start today. It's going to start tomorrow. Wait a minute. How in the world did I just commit not to ever look at this again, and here I am looking at this again? How did this happen. I just committed to be a person of forgiveness, and the very first time that person who really bothers me crosses me again, the very first time, nah, not going to forgive that. Like, what is wrong with me, right? Is there anyone tracking? And here's what Paul says, this is the reality of what he's dealing with. I don't understand, like it doesn't even make sense what I do. I resolve not to do these things. What I want to do, man, I don't do. But what I hate I do. So how do we process this? Look at verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And what he's saying there is, if I'm actually doing, if I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, I'm essentially proving that it's not the law's fault. It's not the speed limit's fault. It's me. Like, I'm the one choosing to do it. It's not making me do it. The devil didn't make me do it. I'm doing it. And he keeps going on in verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. And then he almost speaks in the third person and embodies sin as something else. It's no longer I, he says, verse 17, but it is sin living in me. Almost like sin is a separate thing living inside of me. Then he says, verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, to clarify, he says, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I wanted to do, no. The evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Is that clear? This is why Romans is one of the most theologically complex uh, letters in the New Testament. Let's look at some of that again. Okay, let's look at some of that again because it's really uh, becomes straightforward as we unpack that. What he's saying again in verse seventeen. It's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. Picture embodied sin like as a separate thing living in me. Then he says, nothing good lives in me that is in that sin part of me. I want to do, the end of verse 18, I want to do what is good, but I can't do it. We felt that, all right? Verse 19, for what I do, what I end up doing, is not actually the good I want to do. I wanted not to eat the bass. I wanted to drive 35. I wanted to do that. No, I'm going 50 all of a sudden. I'm having another piece of dessert. I'm being impatient. I'm, the evil I don't want to do, I find myself habitually doing. Now, verse 20, now, if I do what I don't want to do, speed, eat character issues, whatever, it is no longer I who do it. But it's that sin that's living in me that does it. It's almost like the sin is taking over me, and it's doing it. So maybe the devil did make me do it. What's going on? He's saying that the sin nature carries some sway. On a good day, I would rather not, but I almost can't help it. It's drawing me in. And so, here's what he finds happening, verse 21. I find this law at work. When I want to do good... Evil is right there with me. I want to do the right thing, and here's evil right there with me. Uh, for in my inner being, like in the deepest part of who I am, the thing, when, I, when I can actually think clearly and when I'm actually seeing things straight up, in those moments, I actually delight in God's law. It's not that I don't. I actually do. Because I know it brings life in my inner being. In the deepest part of me, I know what is true. That brings life. I delight in that. But, verse 23, I see another law at work in the members of my body. And look at the language that he uses in verse 23. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. This is deep stuff. Like, he's saying, I, the good is right there with the evil. I really do. Like, just because I do evil, and this is important for you, just because you and I continue to fail doesn't negate the fact that we actually do want to do good. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I hate God's law or that all of a sudden I'm absolutely terrible. It just means that this war is happening. And he uses that language of. War and that I get taken prisoner of the law of sin within my members. So this is, this is a big deal. Like, this is a powerful thing, which is why it's incomprehensible, which is why it's almost like I can't stop it sometimes, almost like we find ourselves in the middle of sin looking back and being like, what happened? What's wrong with me? How did I get here again? How did I get here again? What do you think war is? It is this deep, strong, pull toward making a prisoner of something that we no longer have to give ourselves over to but it's real it's this battle within the mind and so what does this do for Paul verse 24 I can relate to this maybe you can too here's his assessment what a wretched man I am and have you ever been there where all of a sudden it's like man Again, another translation of this word is pathetic. <laughs> you know, I have those moments of like, will I ever, will I ever get over this? Even harder is, will my spouse ever get over that? This battle in the mind and the heart of sin. And Paul is just straight with this, and he says, what a a wretched man I am. And then he asks the question that we all ask. We don't all phrase it this way, but I'm telling you, we all ask this question, verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I'm at war here. I'm tired of this. I'm getting taken prisoner. This is not helpful or fun at all. I am worn out. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Great, 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 great question. Where will my help come from? For for some of us we answer this in different ways. Here's a couple of ways that we answer it. And this is number 1 is a very very ironic way to answer this. Let's let's say that I'm struggling you know, with a, a, an issue of obeying the law, that even a law I create, maybe let's just pick on the whoopie pie example I gave, where I say I want to do something different with my diet. And so what I will end up doing is actually, I'll end up creating a set of new rules to follow so that I will follow the original rule that I broke in the first place. That makes sense? So I don't want to eat the whoopie pie so that I'm going to set up new rules in my life, which I'm sure to follow, to keep me, From breaking the rule that I broke the first place. That make sense? The problem, of course, is, well, I'm going to break the rules that I set up to keep me from breaking the rule that I wasn't going to break, but I did break. Right? Isn't that kind of silly, but it's the way we do it. Like, we get a resolve around us to say, I'm never going to again. And so in order for me never to again, what I'm going to do is set up a new rule, a new law, and I'm going to keep that one until like 30 minutes later I don't. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And so we have a couple of responses. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Where does my hope come from? For many of us, we turn to my hope comes from me. Like, I'm strong enough to do this. I'm smart enough to figure out how to beat this. This is what we call around here sin management. Like, I'm going to manage the sin. I'm going to manage this thing so that other people don't need to know and I don't have to have the shame and the guilt of that. Listen, I understand that. I understand that honor that we want to have, that dignity we want to have. I I understand that. I just want to tell you, it doesn't work long term. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me to set up new rules that I will never break to keep me from breaking the rule that I'm going to break in the first place. Because I can't keep the rules. I can't even keep my own rules. Are you tracking with me on that? I can't. I can't do that. And so that approach, that approach, I understand it. But the question is, where does my help come from to get over this and to stop doing or to start doing? It's just never going to work by me being awesome in obedience. Because the answer isn't, man, I'm going to be the one to rescue me. I can't manage the sin. It's too big and too ugly and too powerful. It takes me prisoner. Doesn't work. Doesn't work that way. Another approach, who's going to rescue me? Another approach is some of us just punt, give up, and just say that's the way it's going to be. Listen, I know I have a temper. It's not as bad as you think it is, or it's not as bad as it could be. Or just kind of stop trying, or just gonna give in and say, you know what, I'm always gonna think like that, I'm always gonna act like that, and I can never get over it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and now I stop trying because I can't get over. And I'm just learning to live with it. Who's gonna rescue me? Actually nobody's gonna rescue me from this body of death. It is just gonna be the way it is, and I will never, I will never get over this stuff. Ever. I've tried before, and there's no hope. I've tried counseling before, no hope. I've tried talking to people, writing, whatever. I've tried it, I've tried it, I've tried it, no hope. Like, it's just going to be the way my life will be. Boom. It's a question we all ask. Who's going to rescue me from the angst my mind and my heart and my soul? It's Paul's question. What a wretched man I am. Yep. Who's going to rescue me? And look where he goes. Verse 25. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's his answer. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He summarizes it at the end of verse 25. So then I, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. The two will continue to live. But where will my help come from? This is very important. He's saying my help is not going to come from me being perfectly obedient. My help will not come. Who's not going to rescue me is Me. Who's not going to get on top of it is me being awesome and figuring it out. It's just never going to work. Where is my help going to come? Thanks be to God, my help will come from Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that almost doesn't help at all. That almost doesn't help at all, if we're honest. There are two, there are two things at issue here. One is a long-term solution, and one is a short-term. This is a long-term answer that Paul is giving. What I believe he's saying here is when we struggle and when he struggles with sin, he's saying, this is what I believe is happening, keep my mind, keep our minds on the things of Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ will rescue me. Like that's the truth of Romans 6 that we just covered. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are free from that. So thanks be to God through Jesus. Listen, the battle is won. It's like, we might be at halftime of the game, but we know the end of the game, and we're going to win. Not because we're going to score, but because Jesus has already delivered us. Like, we know the end result. And he's saying, in the middle of the game, when you're losing, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ Lord, you know the finish. And the finish is, you are free, you are free, you are free from the power of sin. And that's what he's saying in the moment. Listen, so does it help you? Would it help you at halftime? Would it help you in the middle of it to know, in the middle of all your struggle and sin, Jesus Christ has freed you and this sin will not be in your body forever? Get up and fight again. Like, does that give you motivation? Because I think it gave Paul that motivation to say, at a big picture level, wake up, see yourself as who you really are. Someone who, if you believe in Jesus Christ, has freed you from that power. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, because he has won the battle. And that changes the way I see my sin. That puts it in perspective. I still deal with it, but in the big picture, I wake up and I realize, this is not who I was created to be, and I do not have to submit to sin's mastery. There is a victory, there is a win, and Jesus Christ has secured it. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin? The only answer that I know of is the same one that Paul gave here. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has died and come back to life to break the power of death, which is the result of every sin. He's the only one who can rescue us. Now, that's long-term. Long-term, I think that can be helpful. At the same time, in the short term, the speed limit sign is still 35, right? People still, for some unknown reason, make whoopie pies that tempt me all the time, right? Like, we still are going to deal with the things in our life on a regular basis. That's even how Paul finishes this verse that I just read to you. Like, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my members of my body, I'm a slave to sin. He recognizes, and let me again recognize, that this struggle will continue to be real. And so let me talk again for a moment about this elephant in the room the elephant in the room one more time the elephant in the room is actually not just the elephant in the room but the actual elephant is in our minds many years ago plato if you're familiar with him rather intelligent guy he came up with this concept that said that in our minds in the way that we think he put it this way there's an elephant and there's a rider and some of you who've studied social science and human behavior understand this and have already recognized this and know where i'm going here but here's what he's saying That in our minds, in our brains, the way that we work and our habits work is that there's like, imagine an elephant being our automated behavior, automatic behavior. The things that we do without thinking, your commute to work, how you comb your hair in the morning, what you eat for breakfast, okay, the things that you do without thinking about it are automated behaviors. The rider on top of the elephant is actually someone who controls the elephant. That's called controlled behavior. That's a decision about um, solving a problem, creating a new solution there's people even sitting in front of me here in this building this morning. For some of you, this is an automated behavior. Sunday morning rolls around, you don't think about it, you roll out of bed and come. You just roll out of bed and come, roll out of bed and come. I mean, you get dressed and all that stuff, but anyway, you come, right? Like you're just automated, you're not really thinking much about it. Some of you this morning, you might be in that this was a controlled behavior, this is a big decision, I finally came to church. Or you may not know very many people here. There's more stress on you than other people, because you have to think, What's going on here? How do I get to meet people? Do they want to know me? Are they friendly here or not? What time will this really be over? Will it be at least mildly interesting this morning or what? Like the controlled behavior is different. So our controlled behavior are the behaviors that kind of wear us out, and they can kind of control our automated behaviors. There's two authors... Uh, who wrote in Christianity Today this past month, Bradley Wright and David Carrion wrote an article called Can You Control Yourself? Christians, Christian social scientists. right? And essentially what they're saying is, this is the way the world works. This is what I would argue is what Paul is saying in Romans 6 and 7. That the habits and patterns we have are like the elephant in the room. They're the elephant that will continue to walk down the path. The rider can control the elephant. Because the rider is smarter than the elephant, right? Most of the time. But the problem is, once the elephant gets hungry, what's the elephant going to do? Whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. right? The rider may want to pull him hard, right? But man, if there's a big whoopee pie over here, he's going that direction. I don't care how strong you are, You cannot, as the rider, pull that mammoth beast over this direction. You just can't do it. The habit is too strong, and it's going there. And that's the description of the problem we have in our own world, in our own minds, in our own hearts. How did I get over there when I wanted to go this direction? Part of the problem is not just that we train the rider to be smarter, but that we train the elephant to be wiser. And both are at play in your habits and in mine. And so when Paul says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? In other words, for all of us, we need to train not just the rider, but the elephant. We need to not just say, all right, I've had enough. I'm going to train the rider to do new things. When that habit comes up, or when that opportunity comes up, I'm going to change my habit. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to new whatever, new whatever, new whatever. That works for a little while, and all of a sudden it doesn't. Why? Because the rider gets tired of trying to control that elephant. And so I have the question, what does it mean to control that elephant, to train that elephant in our deeper habits? And here's the basic principle. We have to go slower than we expect, to make bigger than we expect changes. You may have heard me say before that we overestimate what we can get done in a short period of time and underestimate what we can get done in a large period of time. We underestimate what we can get done in a large period of time. And here's the general principle. That if you want to, for example, run a marathon, you'll pick up a training plan and you know where they're going to start you. Run a mile. Maybe run three. Don't start running the marathon. Get it small first. And when you train an elephant to make changes, you don't train him big first. You train him small first. When that elephant wakes up, he takes one further step in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. We're starting to get there. So what's my point? My point is this. That if you can relate at all, at all, to the struggle of sin in your life and in mine, if you wish at all that you were a better father than you were, a better husband than you are, a better wife or mom than you are, if you wish you could get rid of the habit of whatever you're thinking about or doing in private, if you wish you could get rid of the... the unforgiveness in your heart or the anger that you feel if you wish that any of these things are true you're essentially wishing i wish i could take this elephant and rider in a different direction and i just want to encourage you it actually may start with one small step rather than one massive resolution instead of doing the marathon tomorrow what is the one thing just one thing one thing that maybe will only take a minute, maybe five minutes of my time, that I can do starting today that will put me on the path to getting this thing right? What is the one, one, one thing that I can do? N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. It's very well said. Virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. And so this is the question for me, and I hope for you. What is, listen, what is the one thing, just one thing? If you're sitting around wishing, I wish this would no longer be a part of my life. What is one thing that you can do, just one thing that you can do to move in that direction? Just one thing. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ because the victory is won. And yet while we continue in sin, we will continue to feel the pull. This is just the elephant in the room. But let me encourage you, please, before the day is out, consider, what is it? What is one thing, this one little thing that I can do? It may only take one minute, literally, but I can do it. If you want to, for example, say, you know what, I I want my life to be marked by a greater awareness of God's will and His Word. Like, I want to be someone who knows the Scriptures. Just say that as your one thing that you want. Let me just encourage you. Rather than trying to read for 30 minutes, five days a week, coming from nothing, what I'm suggesting to you is start with one verse a day. Pick a proverb I'm serious. Pick up a proverb. Give yourself 30 seconds. I'm telling you the truth. Like, start there. It's not where you're going to end up, but start there. That little stuff is the stuff that makes habits and changes the direction of the elephant, not just the strength of the rider. Start super small. What is the one thing, just one thing that I can do that can keep my delight in God's law, even while I still wrestle in this body of sin. Now, we are going to finish up this series next Sunday, and I'm very excited because there are at least two really, really, really game-changing promises that I see in Romans chapter 8 that I'm very excited to share with you. So whatever you do, don't miss next week, our final series on abolished. You are free. Will you join me as we pray? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank You for the opportunity to be in Your Word and to be here together. I pray that You would give us courage to think creatively about one small thing, just one small thing that we can do to lean into the things that we know are true and to lean into a direction that we would want to go. I pray that you would help us be courageous to try again and be hopeful again that the battle is won, to be reminded that, no, we are not a slave to sin, even though we wrestle in this body with it. I pray that you would help us to see the balance and the truth of this reality, that you are a good and loving God who has given us freedom in believing in Jesus Christ and freed us from the body of sin and death. And I pray that you would help us take one step to creating habits that move us, that move us, that move us in directions that continue to lean into the very values that we want to have. Give us courage, wisdom, and insight to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name.